Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 9th of August, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, How It Works, on page 60, and we're going to start reading with, we're going to uh, be convinced, we're going to read the first two paragraphs there. And today's readers are 12 Steps, Marge, 12 Traditions, Lisa, and then Hoodie, Rick, Kim, Sharon, and Katie. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 8th of August, is 4925. 4925. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Monica. My name is Marge. I'm a compulsive overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Lisa from New Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsively overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group but never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your comment to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, How It Works, on page 60. And we are going to, uh, for sake of flow, review, being con- start with being convinced and go on to the next paragraph and we'll discuss the second paragraph. And I will ask Hoodie to start reading, please. Hi, good morning, Monica. This is Hoodie, compulsive overeater from Israel. Um, being convinced, we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, we are almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants 
to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements could only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make his arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most, most humans, he is more likely to have various traits. Oh, wow. And this um, this paragraph that I'm reading, um, it's not by accident um, that um, God made me read this this morning. But the first requirement that we be convinced that any life runs on self-will can hardly be a success. And I am drawn back to a doctor's opinion where it says on um, on page XXV, I, 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 beginning when they discuss about my powerlessness at living, my powerless over this disease, for the emotional appeal seldom suffices. The message which can hold interest and hold these alcoholic people must have depth and weight. In nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater than themselves if they are to recreate their lives. And yes, um, that was to me the first requirement that I had to come through with through the, the help of reading the doctor's opinion and the first four chapters that helped me see that I am powerless over this disease. I am powerless of people, places, situations. I cannot, and in all my life, I try to control. I try to get my way and everything. Like the actor who wants to run the whole show, that was me. I wanted everything to go according to my plan. And I put these high expectations on other people. And when you do that, then um, um, you're never happy. You're never, um, you're never peaceful because you're always running. And, um, and I had, and and I must, and I had to come to accept people, places, and things exactly how they are um, and quit fighting anyone or anybody and trust and rely that my higher power, God, has has a reason for all things. And he has he sees that bigger picture and knows what's behind him. And just working through these steps, how it works, now I'm ready because I am totally convinced that me running the show led me to that quicksand and um, I needed a power that that was grounded higher than myself so that I could be restored and I was ready, ready to make that decision to plunge into the rest of the steps and follow these clear-cut directions. And with that, I pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Hoodie. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? This is Katie yeah. from Boston. Okay, I heard Katie. Did I hear Katie from Boston also? Yeah, it was it was Kim and Katie. Oh, Kim. Okay, my poor ears. Kim and then Katie. <laughs> Go ahead, please, Kim. <laughs> Thanks, Monica. I love your laugh. Um, good morning, Monica. Um, my name is Kim G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. The first requirement. Now, wait a minute. Weren't we just told a couple pages back that this is the program, the suggested program of recovery? 
And that is so true. This whole program is suggested. But if we choose, if we make this decision to do this program, there's going to be a lot of requirements. And what you're seeing here is the first one. If there's a first requirement, there must be a second and possibly even a third. Oh, my goodness. So it says here, on that basis, we were almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Even though our motives were good, but I used to say, I'm such a nice person. I'm such a nice person. People are always fighting me. But what I had to recognize was that it was self-will, propulsion, my arrogance to think I knew what was right for everybody, that I was inflicting my will on other people under the assumption or the arrogance that my way is best. You know, when I truly work these steps, I'm the oldest in my family. I'm supposed to take care of my brothers. But when I got out of the way, when I started to live in God's will and let my brothers have their own higher power, not only did they survive, but they thrived without my interference. They thrived. Because let me tell you, when I said to someone, let me help you, because I was so helpful, I was so kind, what I meant was, let me manipulate you so that I can get you to do what I want so that I can feel comfortable. Because my whole life I felt uncomfortable, and my whole life was trying to feel comfortable. And by trying to feel comfortable, I was manipulative, I was sneaky, and I did it under the guise of being kind and generous. And even though my motives were good, I did want my brothers to have a good life. But the way that I went about it through self-will was destructive. It was destructive for me. It was destructive for my brothers. So that first requirement, we have to recognize that self-will didn't work. This is nothing about the drinking. This is nothing about the eating. But that myself, step three is the death of the self. And there's going to be more than one requirement, apparently. Because when we hear, in this, you know, once again, the difference is the fellowship of OA and there's the program of recovery, which is in the big book. And in the fellowship, we have tradition three. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. And thank you, God, that is the truth. But if we want to work this program, if we want to become recovered, there's going to be a lot of requirements. And we're just being introduced to them now. And the way that we're going to be willing to do this requirement is when we recognize that self-will, run riot, is the reason that we're so uncomfortable. That is why I was so uncomfortable in this world. So once again, on, the, on that basis, that basis of self-will, we were almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though our motives are good. Ouch! And with that, I passed. Thank you, Kim. Katie, go ahead, please. Hi, this is Katie G. from Boston, Massachusetts, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. And um, like Kim said, what is a requirement? Something essential to the existence or occurrence of something else. And isn't that true for me? Like I, in order to move from a life of Katie-centered to God-centered, I really had to be convinced that what I was doing wasn't working. And I was sharing with someone yesterday, like after going through when I got to page 60 in the work, reading it with my sponsor, having looked up words, and now I'm reading it with my sponsor and talking about my life, I was absolutely devastated. I was clear that my way was not working. I wasn't exactly sure what was going to work. 
but I was absolutely sure. I was brought to the belief, which is what convinced means. I am, br- br- I am brought to the belief that any life, my life, any aspect of my life, run on self-propulsion. And what is self-propulsion? It's pushing forward, right? It's like I'm a hammer, the rest of the world's a nail. You know, it's like when I call I call customer service, right? And at first, I'd be like, hi, this is Katie, how are you? And, they, and I'd be like, oh, I just have this really big favor to ask you, right? Because I'm Susie Sweet. I'm so, I'm, I'm really virtuous here. I'm demonstrating consideration and patience and generous. Fifteen minutes in when I'm not getting what I want, I'm demanding, where is your manager? This is unacceptable. I need this. I need that, right? That's what it is. It's like I, it's exerting exactly what I want it's saying God doesn't have my back and I need to figure out who I need, what I need, when I need, and, and as long as I need it. You know, and so in order to move forward with step three, I was devastated that my life separated from God had brought me into a total rut. That I didn't necessarily know what was going to work, but that I trusted the people that were going, that had walked before me. And I trusted that my thinking was warped that no human power can relieve my food addiction, that anything outside of myself looking good, it might make me feel good for 30 seconds, but do I want relief today or do I want freedom? Today I want freedom from what? The only thing that's going to prevent me from, from moving forward, which is the bondage of self. You know, so I was ready to move forward with whatever way was not my way because I knew my way was not going to work. And um, I'm really grateful to even know this today because I can still get into that mode. Okay, I get into that someday aisle, someday aisle, if only this would happen, if only that will happen. And it's like, no, you know what? My security comes from God, that I am okay today and that, and that God has my back and that God is sending me who I need, what I need, when I need for as long as I need it. And most importantly, that what's going on is not the problem in my life. It's my judgment that it should be different than the way it is right now. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment Hi, on I'm this? Sheila. Barbara. I heard Sheila and someone else. Barbara. Barbara. Sheila and then Barbara. Good morning. This is Sheila H. from New York. Good morning, Vision for You. I wanted to definitely identify with this um, paragraph that we just reading. As long as I can remember, and I believe it's the oldest sister, from the age of five, I kind of remember my mom telling me, watch the baby, watch the little one. So it was like a learned behavior from as long as I can remember to watch and take care of uh, my siblings. And I used to always hear, you're the oldest, you're setting example, putting a lot of pressure to try to do everything, you know, be good in school, be good in sports, listen to mom, don't get in trouble. And my siblings did whatever they wanted to do, you know. <laughs> that was the crazy part. She kept telling me. You're the oldest, and they're looking for you. And meanwhile, they're running, they're running riot, you know. But it didn't stop me from trying to always make sure that they were okay. And um, I was the, the part that I identified with was um, the kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest and self-sacrificing. That's me. That's my martyr hat. I put that hat on, and I'm the sweetest person you ever want to know, you know, and hoping that I would still get my way underneath. You know, I'm not going to attack you or be overly aggressive like some of the people I had to deal with, but I'm just going to be the sweetest, 
honest person and nice person that I could be. And as I do my step work, and I've done my step work before, I found out all of that was to get something in return. So if I'm doing something for you and I'm not expecting nothing in return, then I'm doing it from my heart. And that was something that I had to learn to stop doing it, as well as not doing for people what they could do for themselves. You know, I heard someone share this morning about people, places, and things. I had to consistently tell myself each and every person has a power greater than themselves, and Sheila, it's not you. You know, and thank God for today I can step back and let people have the path that a power greater than themselves have already written out for them. Quite a bit of identification for me, and it was quite a aha moment when I realized, yeah, you're sweet, you're nice, and everybody loves you, but you're looking for something in return out of this. So that was some internal work that I needed to do. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Sheila. Barbara, go ahead. Thank you. This is Barbara. I'm a compulsive overeater. And this has to be one of the most important passages in the big book for me and my recovery. And... um, when I came to to OA, I didn't like the fact that an early sponsor really got my number on this. And she was about to help me become convinced, as it says, that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. I hardly was a success with a body weight uh, that topped 265 pounds. Uh, my life was hardly a success with uh, problems with my husband, my mother, my children, uh, my principal, the superintendent of schools, the board of education, you name it, because I figured I knew what to do and I was going to do it even though I couldn't be convinced that this life driven by self-will, self-will run riot, as the big book says, was causing so many problems. And the more problems I had, the more I had to go to my drug, food, I had to eat, to uh, abate the pain temporarily for one brief shining moment. And so that early sponsor said to me, you know, Barbara, when all else fails, follow directions. And I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't want to have uh, the fellowship step in and be a higher power. Uh, And then when she kept giving me, the AA book came to believe, came to believe because she knew I needed to have a spiritual awakening and a psychic change. She gave me a couple of copies of those of that same book. Bless those, bless the people who stepped before me to do it. So I really had to become convinced. I had to take a look at the reality of the shambles that uh, my life was in, that I was creating. And and um, when the previous passage says, you know, that I I am a compulsive reader and I couldn't manage my own life in every area food, emotions, spirituality, everything, couldn't manage. So the less I could manage my own life, the more energy went into managing other people's lives. And what disaster that created in relationships. Who wants to have someone in my own family tell me where to sit, when to move, when to talk? I mean, uh, to try to have a family dinner, I was just what is described here, the director, you know, as lights, camera, action. Well, that made me miserable and everybody else. So uh, give it up. Uh, I was given a a book uh, in program when we used to use more books than conference approved, and the opening of the book had one line. It said, Dear God, I resign. And that's the line that I have to keep remembering every day at moments in the day. Dear God, I resign. 
So I move through the step three experience constantly and live in it. Thank you. Pass. Thank you, Barbara. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yes, this is Amy. Amy. Go ahead, Amy. Leah. And then Leah. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Being convinced we are at step three, turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him, and the first requirement being that we be convinced that any life on self-will can hardly be a success. Well, they're not talking about food here, folks. I mean, newsflash, I'm a bit of a slogan junkie, but that saying is that there is much more to this disease than meets the mouth. And the reality is that if we don't address the thoughts, behaviors, and actions that trigger this merciless and torturous mental obsession, we are doomed to eat again. We will never stay stopped. We've talked about steps one and two being concluding steps. You know, I I came to this program, I understood about, and I started to learn, and I concluded that, yes, I am a compulsive over. Yes, I am unmanageable. My life is unmanageable. I came to believe or try and be willing and open to believe in a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And then we get to step three, and it's talking about turning my entire will and my entire life over to the care of God. I needed to remember and to remind myself that this, it says in step one in the first paragraph, and I'm going to paraphrase, hopefully I won't butcher it, but the the bottom line is that we have warped our minds into such destructive eating that only an act of providence can remove it, only an act of God. Let's remember, my mind, my sick mind could not heal my sick mind. So I needed to find a power greater than myself that would restore me to sanity in my thoughts, actions, and behaviors. So when I get to this one, and it says the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will, it's very clear to me that my life, I ran it by self-will. And it goes on to this description in the next paragraph about the director and the actor. And where did that self-will get me? It got me dying of this disease and trying to control life to have it suit me. But what did that do? That got me dying of the disease. And this book is serious about self-will run riot. If we move to page 62 in the third paragraph, it says, so our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcohol... We lost you, Amy. Star one. in my ear. Can you still hear me, Monica? Yeah, I can I can hear you now. Yep. So sorry, I was having some stuff in my ear. It says here, so our troubles we think are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves and the alcoholic is an extreme example of self will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. God makes that possible. So I figured out that I could no more wish away my action, thoughts, and behaviors and the way I was running my life that I could even putting down the food. It wasn't just about putting down the food. It was about changing. Remember, we talk about personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. I needed to address this self-will, self-centeredness, my wanting to control my entire life, and turn it over to a power greater than myself. I needed to believe and I needed to turn it over and become willing. It was a decision. They say step three is a decision point, and that's what I had to do. I had to say, I can't run my life. I can't heal my sick mind with my sick mind, and I have a lot of behaviors 
that are completely centered around food and how to get to the food and self-will and self-right, et cetera, et cetera, that I was going to have to be willing to address those behaviors as well. Again, there's so much more to this disease than meets the mouth, and we have to address those or it kills us. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Leah, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh-oh, what happened? I mean, I thought my problem was food and weight. You know, I thought I just had to uh, learn how to stop eating the Snickers bars and the boxes of Captain Crunch. Uh, this is much different material uh, that they're talking about here. They're starting to talk about, uh, you know, my behavior. It says each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. Um, What the big book is starting to talk about is this self-will run riot. I mean, it's already taught me in the preceding chapters that I have a defective body, meaning I have an allergy of the body. Uh, When I eat certain substances, it creates a phenomenon of craving. I got that. Uh, that I have this obsession of the mind uh, that forces me without my permission uh, and compels me to take that first bite. That's a problem. Now it's talking that I also have a defective will. It says each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. goes on to say if his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Essentially meaning that they would be happier and I would be happier, that life would finally be comfortable. And then when life is comfortable, I won't need to eat, right? Seems to make sense. But the reality is that my expectations of everything, people, places, and things, uh, were the lenses to my world. You know, those expectations, uh, you know, and and demanding that everything uh, work out exactly according to my wishes and my needs and my specifications uh, was impossible task because demanding the impossible kept on uh, creating this emotional merry-go-round. It, it, it created this inability to be tranquil in any way possible. So what the big book is starting to talk about is this self-will run riot this me, myself, and I, this self-centeredness. And it was this self-centeredness that had contributed to my failure at life because the whole universe was created and centered around me and what I expected out of life. So uh, the positioning is that I was my own God, therefore I really had no God. And that is a miserable existence because I only saw the world through those lenses. So I was unable to reach out to other people, and they were unable to reach to me because I was the center of the universe. So that self-centeredness, you know, is a poison. It's a poison, and it may be expressed through acting like a martyr, or it may be expressed through acting like a bulldozer. But the bottom line is that it's always me, myself, and I. And, of course, it frustrates every effort towards a comfortable existence because it creates this chain reaction of bad behavior. So what the big book is starting to to uh, reveal is that my life is going to be determined by how I think. If my thinking is distorted, if my thinking is that I'm the center of u- the universe, then, of course, my life and my behavior is going to reflect that. But if my thinking is in alignment with God, 
then my actions are going to reflect that as well. So the big book is starting to, to say here, hey, your problems are of your own making. This is self-bred unmanageability. This is disharmony that is created by a self-imposed crisis. The problem is you, Leah. The problem is you. Stop pointing the finger and look at yourself. That is the issue here. So the big book is, is moving far away from substance here. The big book is starting to talk about the defect of the will. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And this is Monica. And I would like to jump in here. Oh, Irini. Go ahead, Irini. Oh, I'm sorry. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, my spiritual fellows. My name is Irini, gratefully recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Being convinced, so <clears throat> that I I was finally convinced that I was a compulsive overeater and that I am powerless and I do need a power, a new power. So I was ready to take step three, which means I first had to make a decision, a decision to commit to the work in turning my thinking and my actions over to God. So it's a choice to accept this invitation to walk through an open door and change. Am am I sick and tired of being sick and tired? Do I want to grab this opportunity to grow and to enter a place that can give me access to a power that can bring me peace of mind and soul? Oh, this is like, this is tempting. If we look at it this way, it's very tempting and inviting to go through this door that can offer me happiness and opportunities for a better life. My way was never working for me. Am I willing to try something different? And then just what do I do? Do I dare make a decision to not continue taking these steps to live a heavenly life? Or do I embrace this opportunity to take a chance to walk through this door and become what I was meant to become, not what I thought I would be? It's, so it's the goals that I decide to set and the self-discipline I decide to practice to get a spiritual life or not. I have to be careful what I practice for what I practice I really become good at. So I surrendered and I had the death of food in step one. Now I needed to begin the process of the death of self, which is step three. And if I don't do this step, it's going to definitely lead me back into the food for it would separate me from God, which is having like a spiritual death. So I'm setting myself up now for this new position in my life. I'm repositioning myself in my heart and in my mind and in my soul to allow myself to be governed and not to govern by practicing a new position to be selfless and more interested in others, to move me away from self and closer to God, and to put my heart into God's hands. That's the repositioning. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Irini. And this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here for a moment. Uh, The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. And when I first read this, this self-will, what what does self-will mean? I was just totally confused with that. And self-will is stubborn or willful adherence to one's own desires or ideas. And one day somebody said, you know, self-will is your thinking, Monica, your thinking, the way I think. And um, so the big book here is putting down in black and white 
what I am. And they're going to be giving us lots of examples here in the next few paragraphs we're reading of our, my self-will, my thinking, what are my motives, what does this get me when I am trying to run the show. And they're trying to get me to identify and convince me, bring me to a belief, you know, that my way is not working. How is that working for you, Monica? Well, it wasn't. And um, so we're going to read some more here. And it's very interesting to read this in the present, personalizing it, say, in I and in the present tense. It really helps to identify. With that, I will um, pass. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Rick, could you read that, please? Good morning, Rick, compulsive overeater. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. He decides to exert himself more. He becomes, on the next occasion, still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still, the play doesn't suit him well. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he is sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indigent, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? Is he not really a self-seeker, even when trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can, all they can get out of the show? Is he not even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony. Uh, good morning. I'm Rick, a recovered compulsive overeater. Well, we got a series of, I think I counted seven rhetorical questions in this paragraph. And these questions are not really designed to be answered, but they're designed to explain to us what uh, they're talking about in the previous paragraph. And what they what they said was most people try to live by self-propulsion. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show. And that's what these, these questions are designed to make us think about. What happens when we think that we can run the show, that we're in charge? And uh, what I liked in there what I identified with is I I am of the mindset that if I put my mind to a problem and think about it long enough and work it out, I can solve the problem. That my troubles can be solved by me. And sometimes they can. But more often than not, those that method of trying to solve a problem just leads in a in a circular direction where, you know, more thought, more determination, more will is going to be the answer. And I found out that 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 wasn't that wasn't what I needed to do. What I needed to do was make a decision to go forward with the steps. And that's where we are. We're at step three. And they're making the case why 
we have to surrender, why we have to go forward, why we have to turn our lives over to the care of God as we understand him. Um, in that previous paragraph said, just what do we mean by this and just what do we do? Well, they're laying out the case why we have to do something. And then they're going to start explaining in this chapter the steps and the directions for what we have to do to overcome this, this um, obsession with self-will. So I'll pass with that. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone like to comment on what was read? I'm Linda. This is Janet. Oh, I'm I heard Linda and then Janice. Go ahead, Linda. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. I'm recovered in Connecticut. Thank you very much, guys, and all of you. Um, when I hear death of self, or when I did originally hear death of self, it scared me. It really scared me because here I am at the time, brand new, and I felt like awful about myself. And now that death of self, what little chip of a self I had left, I was very confused. And I've been around for a while now, and I'm recovered. And to me, um, the experience of the steps, going through them over and over, uh, has taught me that death of self means all those old tapes, all that distorted thinking, all that misinformation about how life really works. How life really works is God. It's love. And that's really what I wanted. I wanted love, and I wanted peace, peace of mind, and I wanted to love myself and other people. I didn't know how to get it. And you know what? I still am learning how to live, and that's what these steps have turned out to be for me, a way to God who is the way to live through in the, in the intuition and steps and all of that. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. Janice, go ahead, please. Star one, Janice. Thank you, Monica. <laughs> Thank you. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. No, so so here I'm I'm having myself described to me. You know, it says the first requirement. So there's going to be some requirements here if I am thoroughly convinced. If I'm convinced that my life, the way I've been living it, was only getting me deeper and deeper into that place of desperation, that place of disharmony, that place of disappointments, you know, all those things that I thought I was victim of are now going to be described to me, my part, my part. How was I, an active participant in all of those very things I had thought I was powerless over? You know, it's good information to have, hard information to take in perhaps, hard information, rigorous Honesty, it says, is going to be required. This requirement, this requirement of looking at myself and seeing my motives, that I was always self-propelled, 
that I was always self-motivated, that I was always self-absorbed. Ouch! (laughs) How was I going to look at myself? Well, how I was going to look at myself was with God's help. Because I'm making that decision to turn my life and my will over to the God of my understanding. And guess what? For me, this opened the door to the beginning of building that relationship with my higher power and the relationship with my fellows. You know, I love to look at this big book because it starts to say over and over again, these people clung to each other. They stayed in close contact with each other. Not hardly a night went by that they didn't gather together thinking how they could be useful and helpful to others. Well, guess what? Doing that made them helpful and useful to each other. So even though I'm going through this work and it's an individual job, I have to look at myself. I don't do it alone. I don't do it alone. And I remember working these steps myself with other people who were working the steps themselves, and we called each other, and we talked to each other, and we compared notes on how, yes, we were all selfish, we were all self-centered. And somehow that camaraderie, that doing it all together, helped me look even deeper at my own self, seeing where I had been demanding, seeing where I had been kind and loving, hoping to get something in return, seeing where all of those things took me to get what I wanted that I knew best. With all the lovingness I thought I had in me, I knew best for you. And if everybody only did it the way I thought it should all play out, wouldn't we all be safe? But this big book was asking me, even is he not even a self-seeker, even when he's trying to be kind? Is he not a victim of delusion? Yes, that's what I was victim of, the delusion. The delusion that I could wrest happiness out of managing everything well. But I could not. But I could not. And it began to be more and more and more of a relief to set all of that old thinking, those old ideas aside and become a sponge and take on all of this new work. Looking at myself, writing it down, looking at myself, writing it down, talking with other people about it, praying to God to help me one more day, one more day. You know, that is the greatest gift of this program, that we don't have to do it alone because we start out with this higher power, this gift that is always available, always there, always a prayer on my lips. God help me this day look at myself. Because you're going to give me all of these examples and in my best moment, can I look at these things? You know, that's the work that we're doing right here, right now, today. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Hi. Hi, Leanne. Hi. Hi. Hi, and then Leanne. Hi, everybody. This is Haya, recovered compulsive leader and bulimic from Dallas, Texas. Great meeting. You know, what's been on my mind, as everyone has been sharing, is uh, just a little while ago on the page right before the 12 steps, remember we deal with alcohol or for us food, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for us. But there is one who has all power, that one is God, may you find him now. And all that kept going through my head was, remember that we deal with self. 
cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it is too much for me. But there is one who has all power, and that one is God, and I find him now. I'm dealing with self. This is not about food. Food was the symptom of the problem. The problem is self. And the first requirement is to, to be convinced that I, I can't run my life on self. And I'm so grateful that we have very clear-cut directions on how to live a different way so that we don't have to eat. And we can be so much more effective, which has been experience. So I'm very grateful. I'm grateful that the only requirement for membership of the fellowship is a desire to stop eating compulsively because when I first came, you know, that was, that was enough to get me here. But I'm extraordinarily grateful that, that, is not, that, that there are requirements to recover, that we are being told the requirements to recover. Because if I just work the fellowship, I'm not going to get my problem solved, and I needed my problem solved. And today it's solved with the enlargement of my spiritual condition through steps 10, 11, and 12. And um, I'm just very, very grateful. Thank you for letting me share. And welcome to anyone who's new. I hope you come back. Thank you, Haya. Leanne, go ahead. Hi, this is Leanne, Recovering Compulsive Overeater. And I um, always wondered about people who were so out there, like they were spontaneous, they can give of themselves, they were able to be productive, useful, and helpful. And I'm so glad that this book explains to me my problem in such a great way. And it also says that I can't get rid of it on my own. And um, it seems to me like the best remedy for um, getting rid of self is the opposite of what I, of everything that I was about. Even as a kid, I was never spontaneous, never free. I was always so concerned with me. Oh, that makes me feel bad. Oh, that's, you know, all about me. I couldn't be a free child, even, even as far back as I can remember in childhood. If I didn't have my jammies on by seven and my my bed rolled down by 7.15, I was a mess. I had these rigid, controlling, um, uh, what's the word? I um, can't think of the word. Uh, ways of being to make sure that I was comfortable and I was okay. And I just, my whole life was that way. And now I'm starting to understand that only God can help me with this. And it's such a relief because I can pour out my heart to him and pour out my concern of my selfishness to him. And he, slow by slow, in a gentle way, breaks me out of my uh, of my shell. Little by little, I notice that I'm forgetting about me because I'm too concerned about helping this new sponsee. Or, you know, and that's the only way it happens. And I was with somebody last night who was just an amazing example of selflessness, not in an unhealthy way. And I just marvel at that. Like, it comes so naturally for some people. They're just blessed with this beautiful way of them. And um, I have to work very hard. My husband says, you know, everybody wakes up and they can kind of get to the starting line and start their day. But I feel like I have to get up two hours early before I even get to the starting line to get my my self-will punched back down and my, my um, you know, my my head on the right way because during the night it's like yeast it all rises and when I'm not connected with God it uh, you know it can overtake me so I have you know I don't want to call myself a piece of work but you know it takes a lot of work for me to be like 
that beautiful spirit, to have that beautiful spirit and have to continue to maintain it through what they tell me in the book here, just these 12 steps. And it's just so great that I have an answer today. I don't have to search anymore. I don't have to wonder anymore why I'm like this. And I'm really grateful. I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leanne. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, would you read, please? Thanks, Monica. Our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He is like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century. Politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever their protestations, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, and our self-pity. And wow, you know, Bill likes to use examples of things, but that last line is really the core. Whatever our protestations, whatever role we take, if we become you know, Daisy Doormat or we become Betty Bulldozer, We lost you, Kim. Star one. Oh, sorry. Did, did you hear me read the whole thing? The whole no. paragraph? Oh, yeah. We heard you read it. You were you were talking oh, okay. about the last sentence. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So the last sentence is just letting us know that that everything is about us. You know that the way that Galileo was um, criticized or almost put to death because he had the audacity to say the earth wasn't the center of the universe and that the earth might go around the sun. It's the same thing. We think we're the center of the universe. And if anyone even makes us think that, oh, we should be God-centered, it's heresy. Because what is important to us? How am I going to get my slice of the pie? You know, we're concerned with ourselves, our resentments, our self-pity. You know, one of the things I had to recognize was that I thought love was finite. And if I didn't fight everyone or everything for my slice, then I was going to be left without. So when someone else got married, it meant there was less of a chance of me getting married. If someone else got the promotion, there was less of a chance of me getting the promotion because what's important is my, me, 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 my resentment, my self-pity. This is what I need. And that is where my pain came from. And I blamed it on my boss and the guy that I was dating and all these outside issues. But we're going to see that the hypocrisy, that we think that we are victims, victims of a delusion, but it's about the outside world. And we're being confronted here with the true nature of compulsive overeating, the true nature of why we go back to the food over and over again. Because if food and weight was our problem, we put the food down and we would be okay. We lose the weight, we'd be okay. My problem as a compulsive overeater is when I put the food down, that's when my problems begin. That's when my problems begin. Because that's when I get into self-pity, resentment, anger, fear, frustration. So that is what we need to look at. Whatever our protestations, whatever role we choose to take, whatever persona we choose to take, are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or all self-pity. And with that, I pass. 
Thank you, Kim. Would anyone like to comment before we close? It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. This is her. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you. Kim, you wanted a slice of pie. I wanted the whole thing. It says, whatever our protestations are not, most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, and our self-pity. Um, you know, so the big book is really making it clear here that this is a self-imposed crisis. This is not about pie or Snickers bars or Captain Crunch and all his uh, pals. This is a problem of self and self-sufficiency. Um, you know, my basic flaw had been faulty dependence, faulty dependence on people, faulty dependence on circumstances and situations uh, to supply me with that feeling of stability, to supply me with a feeling of well-being and happiness. And in my pursuit, in my chase for what I thought I needed, I stepped on everybody and everything. That's why it talks about retaliation, because when I fail to get those things according to my wishes and my demands and my specifications, that led me to be in collision. That led me to be in disharmony. That led me to fight everything and everybody. It was self-will run riot. That's why it says here our actor is self-centered and egocentric. Because we're at the center of the universe instead of God being at the center of the universe. You know, when when it talks about being a victim, uh, you know, it says previously, is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if he only manages it well? So what is a victim? I mean, a victim is someone who feels that they've been uh, suffering due to other people. They are subjected to torture and to suffering by other people, and that's exactly, you know, uh, what had happened, you know, if only my father had behaved in a certain way and parented in a certain way, if only my brother had done this, if only my mother had done this, you know, it was because of this family of origin that I had become distorted and dysfunctional and that my life had deteriorated. Well, you know, uh, then food and weight becomes an issue when we believe food and weight are the center of the problem. Food and weight are not the center of the problem. Food and weight are symptoms and symbols of a separation with a power greater than ourselves. Food and weight are symptoms of a problem. And when God, when we bring God into that equation, because the real problem is self-centeredness that they're talking about here. The real problem is self-pity. The real problem is victimhood. The real problem is selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, fear. And when we bring God into that equation through the working of these steps, and step four is going to be the first action step, we don't think that way any longer and we don't eat that way because we're not going to be plagued with the delusion that we can wrest satisfaction out of this world if only we manage it well. And when we're not suffering from that delusion that if I do this instead of that and I do that instead of that, everything will be perfect, we're not suffering from that false belief anymore. We realize that it's God's world, not mine. We realize that God is the director and we're governed by him rather than governed by self. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Thank you to everyone who has shared, and we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Sharon, can you read a vision for you, please? 
Good morning. This is Sharon. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God if you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.